Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, nay, today, is Towel Day. What's (laughs) Towel Day, I hear you asking? Alternatively, what I hope you're saying is, of course it's Towel Day. It's May the 25th. Yes, it's International Towel Day where we celebrate the work of Douglas Adams, and specifically his magnum opus, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So what better way to celebrate that within the specific confines of this podcast by watching the movie based on the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, from 2005. Joining me as always, we have someone who has seen the film before and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film before (laughs) and uh, joining us in... Uh, dressing gown and pyjamas It is Simon Haynes uh, I do have to do a correction on you It's not based on the book It's based on the book that's based on the TV show That's based on the radio play uh, Yes, you are correct But uh, I only have so much breath capacity <laughs> uh, but How are you, Simon? Oh, I am a, I'm a little bit tired It's been a full busy day But I'm ready and raring to attempt this movie for the fourth time Yes, now the reason we've got you on is is because you've tried watching this film before and you've never quite made it to what I would consider a full viewing. I've see I've watched twenty minute I watched this movie three times, ten minutes a time. I've only seen twenty minutes of this movie. Here's the thing. I am a huge Hitchhiker's Guide fan. Mm-hmm. I am massive Hitchhiker's Guide fan. I can't this movie I can't do. I deliberately As a favour to you, and also, <laughs> this is probably the only way I could watch this film is in mm. this context. Is uh, but yeah, I. So, I love the radio play. The original radio play is brilliant. I love it. I love the TV series. The book's fine, but the the original radio play stuff is phenomenal. I'm mm. listening to it again recently. I listen to it like once every year. Mm. The full radio, literally the five seasons of radio play every year. The pacing is great. The jokes are great. It's such a great thing plot uh, not so much mm. so i kind of know this movie uh, to a degree because i know they've changed a lot because that's a gripe i also have of adams but we've gone too long please introduce the other guest okay so no but just just to kind of wrap it up <laughs> as, as a big fan you've had issues with this film partly because it's hard to try and capture what hitchhikers is in all those other mediums where it's more long form into what is a hundred and ten minute movie well I was, as i was driving around i was trying to do the mental math of this so by the time i've watched 20 minutes of this movie it's almost three episodes of the radio play that's 90 minutes worth of gags and plot the problem is when you strip out the gags and keep the plot it's, mm, yeah, yeah it, okay well yes we will definitely be getting on to that but <laughs> thank you for braving this film yes. for us today it's uh it's it's for the service of entertainment so we salute you simon uh we are joined by someone who has seen this film the whole way through uh, the, the brave sherpa that has watched uh, the hitchhiker's Not film can hack it but i'm here yeah I'm it's anna Sheehy. <laughs> howdy 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 anna um uh how, how, how's life with you we haven't seen you for a while yeah busy um i bought a house you in did this economy it. yeah unbelievable i'm still actually shocked by it but yeah. do you have any super left i was just surprised that <laughs> Scott Morrison, I will access my super over my cold, dead body. <laughs> mm, excellent. Oh, oh, exciting times for those listening at home as well. We're recording this before the election, when the episode is released, <gasps> after the election. So we don't know who's won, uh, but we welcome our new overlords uh, in the 
Hunters and Fishers party. Uh, who'd have thought it, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you've seen this film, Anna? Yes, many times. Um, wow. In a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, <laughs> more for the people at home than for Simon and I, yeah. who have both engaged with this content in various uh, other mediums. What's the film about? I will be honest, it's been a long time since I watched it. And I also had parents who were really into Hitchhikers mm. as it was coming out in mm. England. And I listened to it on car trips and I've read the books. Um, so I have sort of, I would say, a, a real um, scrapbook of memories mm. <laughs> of this sort of whole world and the different characters and the things that happened. <laughs> um, but... I remember really enjoying the films. I think the actors in it are fantastic. I actually managed to have a crush on all of them growing up. All this is quite a formative movie for me as wow, far even as like... John Malkovich? Okay, not John Malkovich. <laughs> Bill Nye? <laughs> I can get rid of that one. Um, but no, I think, uh, yeah, it's a much sort of smoother, rounder sci-fi experience. Mm. And for people who have literally no entry into sort of this form of sci-fi that's a lot more goofy, that has a lot more interest and I think a lot more heart than, you know, some other really hard, solid sci-fi that really sort of mm -hmm. boils humanity down to wars and this and that. It, it, has, some, it has some sort of softer, rounder edges and mm. more interest and I think more sort of humanity, mm. um, which I really liked as someone who's always liked sci-fi but also appreciates probably the softer side of sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Smoother and rounder, much like Marvin the Paranoid Android. I was thinking of him and the unless you Speaking of Marvin the Paranoid Android, I did bring something. Oh, the most visual podcast. I don't oh know. yes, no, in this entirely audio format, we're about to have something visual. Uh, Simon is approaching something which is appropriately enough covered in a towel. It is the head of uh, your costume as the uh, television version of Marvin the Paranoid Android. That's fantastic. That's, I almost brought a prop, believe Did it or you? not. Did you? Because for my first year at Whopper Props and Scenery Props Assignment to make a book, I made a medieval version of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy nice. where I drew illustrations of a Babel fish and a Vogon and I handwrit a bunch of the passages from The Hitchhiker's Guide that into it. That is so cool. I'll try and find some photos. No, it's incredible. I, I feel woefully <laughs> underprepared. What's your props <laughs> For uh, sure, uh, I, I do have uh, a, a book of the, the radio play scripts that uh, I was given as a gift uh, for finishing the PhD, actually, because nice. oh, I did I science it. fiction radio plays to my PhD. Hitchhikers may have had an influence on that as well. Um, <laughs> yes. So I, I think it's one of those things with Douglas Adams. He's such an influential writer. Like mm. his comedy writing is superb. Yeah. Like him and Pratchett, like the way they twist a word. Mwah. Yes. And. Uh, uh, we'll see how much of that survives into this film. Uh, <laughs> he, shall we he watch? Did write the screenplay. So... Yes. Shall we watch uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy film? Fourth time's a charm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. For those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and walk through those doors. Ah. <laughs> as we watch. Oh, I've got to shut it. Ah. <laughs> the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and I'm joined once again by Anna Sheehy. How's it out there, you hippie fruits? And Simon Haynes. Well, I got through it. You did. Oh, Simon, uh, so 
how how was it? What, what what do you think of the film in the afterglow? Val, that's a phrase I wouldn't use. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't like it. Didn't like it? I, I did not like that. I thought I could tell by the fact that you went very silent through most of the film. The head no. shaking, probably. Yeah, that, that was a bit of a giveaway okay. too. Remember what I was saying about how they cut out a lot of jokes? Mm-hmm. And they're going... Oh, my brain is automatically filling in the rest of the... Oh, yeah, they just didn't make that... that they made that joke, they didn't make that joke, they didn't make... Mm. Nah. I, okay, so I got up to the bit where... I know I've seen it, and I got up to the bit where the movie radically diverged from the source material. Mm. And at that point, I thought, okay, wow me. And I wasn't wowed. Okay. So what what I would say is... I think of all of the different science fiction properties that one could try and adapt that that didn't begin as a film. Oh, this it, is up there in terms of like this is really hard to adapt. Yeah. Something similar I would say is probably like Asimov's Foundation series yeah. which has mm. just been turned into a TV program in the and last 12 months. And it's fairly like it's not been also perceived particularly well by people yeah, who are yeah. not familiar with but, the series because yeah. of the complexity of that piece. And so I I think the part of the issue with it because I also agree this is not the best adaptation of Hitchhikers Mm. but I I, I feel as though one of the things that this particular text if we want to call the story of Hitchhikers um, suffers from is um, short sharp doses it's something that I think because of the nature of the original radio play um, which was short episodes but over many episodes, mm. you get that time to sort of luxuriate in these absurd ideas. Mm. Film doesn't necessarily lend itself to that. There are absurdist comedies, which are great. I would point you to The Adventures of Baron Munchausen as mm. an example of absurdist, fantastical comedy being done well. But because Hitchhikers has got such real estate, in sort of like our collective mental real estate, it's got such prominence. I think it's an incredibly hard property to adapt into film and have everyone walk away going, yep, they did it. They cracked it. That's that's what it should be. Um, that doesn't excuse the fact that this film is not particularly great. Um, it's, it's sort of where I'm sitting. Anna, you, you haven't seen this film for a long time. How, how was it for you? Um, yeah, I think I commented as we began watching, this came out in 2005 and I would have been 10. Mm. And I'm not entirely sure if I would have been allowed to watch it as a 10-year-old yet. Mm. But it would have been within the, the 10 to 13 years that I first watched it mm. and was obsessed with it and was really into it. And it was a jumping point for me to... I think I read the books, yeah, in those years. And I would have been listening to the, the radio play a bit before then. I know my parents would have been playing it. Mm. I will admit, I think... You were probably the great age to engage with I this. think as, as I was watching it, yeah. I think I really was. I had in my mind so many pieces of this movie mm. sort of vaulted up as like, oh, that bit where they're on, um, you know, the Vogon planet and they're having ideas and they're getting hit in the face. And <laughs> the, all the, it was all sort of separate in my mind as little skits. Mm. Um, like the scene with Slarty Bartfast. Mm. I play that in my head like at least once a week. I am obsessed with Bill Nighy's representation of Slarty Butterfast. Mm. I love the way he says, I, my name's not important. Anyway, you must come with me. <laughs> I think it's so funny. And just the way he talks, I I don't know why. It's just wonderful. It's in my head. But having it all together as like a, a grand piece, the pacing's weird mm. and it's a bit boring. Yeah. Um, and I really like the performances. I personally, mm. I don't think the characterizations of all the characters are a bang on. No. And I do feel like it is a movie that sits in 2005. Like it's a... 
ditch. Like yeah. it's stuck in what a lot of the expectations I think we had of yeah. those characters and those performances mm. then. Yeah. And it makes you wish like, oh, like imagine what Taika Waititi could do with a piece of media like mm. this now. Like how much goofier mm. you could be, how much more free you'd be and like the wackiness of it. Yeah. Who would Reese Darby play? Yeah, exactly. And why is it slightly Slightly bar fast? There's Bill Nighy and then... Um, yeah. Yeah, so I do think there's some really, really cool parts of it that hold mm. up still that I still really enjoy. I particularly like the animation. I think that was probably quite mm. a bold move for 2005, personally, mm-hmm. to really go hard for the narration, hard for the animated side of the book. Mm. Um, yeah, well, the visual uh, and, stuff is pretty good. And that's the thing. This Special movie, effects, this the movie is 17 years old, which is... A lot older than I was willing to realise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but because it is from quite some time ago now. Mm. But the the visuals, you know, not just the, the design of the book, but the visuals for the spaceship flying around doing its thing look great. Mm. Like, I, I, just looking at it now, I'm like, most of this holds up. Even the stuff with the planet building where they're zooming around and stuff sort of flying past and it feels almost a little bit cartoony. But it, it fits the tone of what they're trying to do. It fits the tone of the source material. Mm. But genuinely, it still looks brilliant. Which a, is so weird for a film from that, yeah. that time period. From a cinematography point of view, it's actually a well-crafted film. Like, I can't fault this film for directing, editing, uh, some of the sound design. Like Some of that music was a little bit too hokey at times. Yeah, there were some um, <laughs> goofy moments that weren't supposed to be goofy. Yeah, but... <laughs> So, in the actors and all that, I remember this, there was a huge controversy when Moss Def was announced as a Ford Prefect because, yeah, unfortunately, you're casting a black man at a British thing and all of a sudden there's a lot of spilt tea and ruffled mustaches. I, I mean, to be honest, I think it's more that it was an American than, no, than it, it was. No, it was definitely... <laughs> there, was, there was definitely a bit of it's that. It's always uh, a twofer, isn't it? Let's yeah. face it, of the four main characters... Three of them were American and only one of them people had to go at. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah. But no, I actually really liked his uh, version. I, mm. I mean, I prefer the um, the Jeffrey Perkins version, yeah. the radio one. But no, Mostef does give his own good mm. energy to it. And mm. the only one I don't particularly like out of that cast was Arthur Dent. Mm. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I remember relating so much to him again as a younger person. Mm. Being like, Oh, look, he's this British guy. He's all like mm. sort of stuffy and yeah. he's, he doesn't understand what's going on. Mm. But I think um, Stephen, you said he, he feels like he's playing Ricky Gervais sometimes. <laughs> it does. He, he does feel a lot more like he's just walked off the set of The Office, which admittedly yeah. was only a couple of years before yes. this. Yeah. So, and like Martin Freeman, I think has done really very well playing tim from the office in many things that that sort of um the character that we can sort of relate to because he acknowledges how absurd situations yeah. um are that he is in that's why i thought he was very good casting as bilbo um mm. in, in the hobbit films is he's great at playing fish out of water yeah and i remember when i first watched this going yeah he's great casting and it makes sense martin freeman is the fish out of water if you're making this film today mm. martin freeman would still be up there despite the fact that he's in his 50s now yeah. um but there is something almost slightly aggressively wrong with, with the, portray- the portrayal. I think it is just that his Arthur's a little bit angrier. Yeah. Than, He's a than... bit mean sometimes. Yeah. yeah. He's a bit jealous and bitter. And yeah. I think that could be a real undercurrent, but it doesn't feel that way. It they feels look... quite like forward yeah. in mm. his, his entire characterization. And it's a bit, I don't know, leaves They've... a sour taste in my mouth. They've mm. also put the um, Trisha... Uh, Arthur, or Trillian Arthur 
Zaphod uh, love triangle, a bit more full front. Yeah, fully her. buff. Gross. And, 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 <laughs> no, honestly, honestly, not into it anymore. Yeah, I'm so I, sorry. I'm, oh, I don't. I think. Yeah, that. I'm sorry. I'm Fen Church and Arthur forever. Um, no, uh, I do appreciate they actually tried to give Trillian a character arc. Mm. It just was this inserted section in the middle of this film that just didn't feel like it did anything. Mm. Yeah. But I appreciate they tried to do something with Trillian because if there's one character in the entirety of Hitchhiker's Guide who really was given the short straw, admittedly by Douglas Adams, I think he, he acknowledged that he just couldn't write a good, strong female character until it literally got to Fenturch. Um, so, yeah, it's good that they tried to do something with this character, mm. but it felt like she was just meandering between potentially the protagonist, and, but mostly the love interest. Mm. Mm. And uh, uh, Zoe, uh, Zoe Deschanel does a great mm. job playing the role. I really like the scene with the point of view gun. Yes. It's very moving out of nowhere. Yeah. And I think in another movie, oh. I would. I still love it. Like, it actually makes me feel a little bit emotional when she's doing it. The mm. performance is sensational, but it does oh, feel yeah. a little bit out of place yeah. with how and, the rest of the movie treats her. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is a really interesting double bill to have with last week's film, The Fifth Element, which, uh, listeners at home, I'm pleased to report, I'm no longer angry about. <laughs> uh, because um, I, I had a nap and I feel much better. <laughs> um, but, but I think there's a lot of interesting connections between The Fifth Element and this film in terms of what is being attempted, you know, this sort of presenting space as a colourful, wacky Mm. um, and absurd place. Mm. And I feel as though reflecting on this, maybe I was a little bit harsh on Fifth Element. (laughs) Not not because this doesn't do it as well as Fifth Element. I just feel as though there are things in this that I enjoyed that I maybe forgave slightly more than Fifth Element because I'm a fan of the source text, my experience was I read Hitchhikers first as a book Mm. and I was about your age and uh, uh, 10, 11 when I first read it because Mm. I borrowed it from my school library and read the first one and was like, oh, science fiction can be funny. (laughs) I mean, I'd I'd seen Red Dwarf, so I knew it could be funny, but I was like, it's confirmed. It's more than once it's (laughs) happened. This hypothesis is now a theory. And it's funny because we wouldn't have Red Dwarf without Hitchhikers. No. No, exactly. And it's interesting as well that both Red Dwarf and Hitchhikers, sorry, I'm just dusting off the PhD here uh, in (laughs) science fiction. Hitchhikers and Red Dwarf both began as radio shows. Mm. Uh, Hitchhikers, obviously, in 78. Um, Red Dwarf began as sketches on a show um, called Son of Cliché in the 1980s. Uh, The sketches were called Dave Holland's uh, Space Cadet, and Mm. it was the character that would become Dave Lister. Mm. Um, was basically just this guy in space um, and they wrote sketches around it and from that they built what would become Red cool. Dwarf and through doing that show that's how the people who made that show met Chris Barry who became Rimmer and mm. all this other stuff it's really interesting that these British sci-fi comedies which were massively influential and Hitchhikers is the granddaddy mm. of, of sci-fi comedy but it's interesting that they have their roots in the radio format and then they've been adapted into various other properties well, that's one of the great things about radio sci-fi you can go anywhere mm. it's just theater of the mind well it lends itself to absurdism mm. and the thing that red dwarf did when it became a television show was it steered not so much away from absurdism but it steered into we're a television show now so we're going to make this work for tv we're still going to do mad stuff we're still mm. gonna have monsters made of curry or you know well the funny thing is time f- going backwards the first season of red dwarf was almost banal in its approach mm. to science fiction like 
uh, Grant Naylor had this rule of there's no aliens in in the universe. So when it came to later on, later on they were just like, going, oh shit, how are we going to get rid of this uh, rule? Hmm. We have Gelfs. Yeah. Which are just aliens, just a different name. Yeah, aliens that were made by humans, genetically yeah. engineered mm. life forms, and all this other nonsense. Um, whereas with Hitchhikers, because the radio show had been absurd, and then the books, which were released a year later, or the first book, was, which was released in 79, was able to retain the absurdity because mm. it's just words on a page. Then when you get to the television show, mm. it, it hits a slight issue there. And I think with the film, a film's kind of got to make sense when it's a commercial property like this. Yeah. And it's got to be a hundred minutes, a story that we can follow, you know, play up the love story. Sure. You know, that's what audience is like. Mm. Um, and it does mean that you lose things like a lot of the jokes. Yeah. You do lose a lot of the things that people really love from the the original content i am surprised by how little of stephen fry is in this film mm. because i remembered so many of the um the diary entries yeah. from They're this the funniest film bits, really. yeah it's the, the, the 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 guide itself is one of the best characters mm. in the show mm. now it's funny you you mentioned that because um i would disagree that it's hard to adapt this because it's 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 easy to adapt this show but just not for film i think now with the technology we have and platforms like netflix and shows like this we mm. could produce a high quality hitchhikers miniseries and we could do all the um mm. all the different books because mm. there's a wealth of stuff there and i reckon but you get a good show runner gently you, yeah. i didn't like the joke gently which uh, one at a, uh, <laughs> I, uh, the first one mm. i'm not Langer. a fan of Dirk gently to be honest mm. i would say that as as much as I personally would be all for like a, an attempt at like a really high quality hitchhikers TV show, mm. um, I, I would be sitting there going, "Why are we doing this?" Yeah. To an extent, because the fact is, is the types of stories that we tell as even science fiction comedies mm. have moved on from hitchhikers. Not that hitchhikers is no longer funny and should never be done, and that it's an old historical relic, but I do wonder if you're going to adapt it in the 2020s what purpose does it serve other than going do you remember this ka-ching ka-ching mm. for the douglas adams estate you know it's <laughs> it's you've got to look at it and go what can you create with it you know when you look at something like the orville for example which is taking a pretty simple premise premise of star trek but funny but then sort of hits this really interesting line where it's jumping between being a comedy and being a almost semi-serious Star Trek type show. Um, and, you know, other things like Avenue 5, which um, was I the... I haven't seen that yet. Uh, it, it was released just before the pandemic. So yeah. I think a lot of people surprisingly missed it, despite the fact they couldn't leave their houses. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's about a cruise ship, uh, a space cruise ship, um, a few hundred years into the future that gets uh, stuck in space. So it's meant to be just doing like an orbit around the, the main planets of the solar system and coming back. And in the first episode, there's a bit of a whoopsie and they're trying to figure out how to get home. Uh, Hugh Laurie's in it and it's written by Armando Anucci. Um, so the mm. thick of it and Veep. Oh. And it is one of the best sort of like farces, I think, that has been put to, to TV. Mm. And everything that happens in that show has a massive consequence in terms of like if, if something happens and there's a bit of a consequence it stays it never undoes what that consequence is mm. and it's just got beautiful mm. farce and the thing is is hitchhikers has never been that sort of thing hitchhikers has always been 
basically a success because Douglas Adams was very funny. Hmm. Um, and you can capture that that wit from the page and from what was written for the screenplays and put it up. But I, w- I would wonder a bit what, what would be the point when we already have access to it. I think for me is that I would love to see not necessarily the first book or the first uh, radio arc, the first mm. TV arc, the first six episodes. I would love to see the things that we never got to see, like um, the Cricket War, um, the actual return of Earth mm. in the uh, in um, in book four, uh, So Long and Thanks for All the Fish. Mm. Maybe they could make book five a little less bad. Okay, the fifth... Uh, radio series radio play was actually pretty good mm-hmm. so those radio plays are there and they're really great even though they're so oh the discontinuity is <laughs> brain breaking but I love season two of the radio play and it's not in any of the books mm-hmm. uh, there's a deep rabbit hole to go into but there's some great jokes in there and some of those jokes made it into this film mm. um, the, the joke specifically about you know uh, when uh Trillion is almost getting fed to the blog batter beast of trial, and mm. like the the, the hitchhiker goes about, uh, you know, <laughs> if you're about to die, that joke is lifted yeah. directly from season two <laughs> of the radio play. Right. So it's like, um, as a as a novice <laughs> in the room, I think without a PhD mm. and without uh, quite as much rewatching <laughs> and re-listening to the to the radio show, I would say that. I think the reason why I would really value it, and I think it would actually be really good for sci-fi as a whole, is that. I don't think The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as a radio play is accessible mm. to most people. I don't yeah. think it is, actually, from my perspective. I remember watching it, and I, I'm sorry, listening to it, and I really enjoyed it, mm. but the discontinuity really confused me as a young person. Mm. And then also the disjointed nature of the books to the radio play. Yeah. Um, when I read the books, I was like, I know these guys, I know these people. What's happening? What's going on? That yeah. really confused me, and I didn't really know at the time because I was just reading at the library. Yeah. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, I haven't heard of those TV shows, but for me, knowing that sci-fi comedies as they are at the moment, I can't think of the last time I saw one that was sort of majorly successful in the yeah. way that you might have mm. like a What We Do in the Shadows TV show mm. or a Our Flag Means Death um, sort of vibe. And I know it's possible now. Mm. Again, as you're saying, like uh, streaming is the future, the current way it mm. is, although it seems to be collapsing a little bit but we'll see um tv shows are the way we consume things Mm. and i do think this universe that's been created is incredible the jokes within Mm. it are funny Mm. the cultures within it are just so intricate and hilarious and there's just so much good stuff there Mm. and i do think a tv show because this movie (laughs) piqued my interest as a young person but i also know based off of the reviews of it it confused the hell out of a lot of people it's Mm. confusing it's not a very good representation of it Mm. and i don't think going straight from that to the radio play will necessarily give you what you want in a quick enough time for modern audiences i think the nine hours or whatever it is to take in in the full you know swing (laughs) of as much as you might need even if some pared it down for Mm. you people don't listen to stuff for that long <laughs> without getting to the meat of it even if mm. it is really good i'm just worried that people don't yeah and uh, look I'm, I'm i'm all for this being adapted into a really great serialized content mm. um 
please do that, somebody out there. You know they already have. There's yeah. millions of people I, out there already I'm not just sure if it's waiting on lists. Still licensed by the BBC or not? But could you imagine oh. like a showrunner like Russell the Davis handling <laughs> something like a, a a Hitchhiker's Guide? Yeah, and and that's the other thing as well is obviously with um, Douglas Adams uh, having been gone for more than twenty years now. Yeah, it it would require a a creative head that that I guess got it. And and the thing is is it's so loved hmm. um, that I don't think there would be any shortage of people wanting to to do that and to work work on it. Mm. But it's I think as we saw with um, the adaptation of uh, Terry Pratchett's The Watch into oh. a TV series, which had I, I think we can pretty safely say not the best uh, creative conditions or creative. Did team. anyone here watch that? Because I no. I watched the first I, episode I uh, and I am going to be polite and say that I didn't much care for it and leave it at that. Um, it, I didn't um, want, I never want to be one of those fans that always rejects like whatever gets adapted out yeah. of pure like sacredness for the text. It's, I do feel like there's space for like yeah. reintroducing mm. other things, but that is one of the ones where I looked at the summary. I read more and more articles about it and I was just like, I'm going to let Sleeping Be Sly. It, I'm not going to do that to I myself. I heard other Pratchett fans' reactions and uh, Rihanna Pratchett disowned it. Yeah. And I was like, that's always Just a red flag, away. isn't it? Yeah, like, I, I, I gave it a I gave it a red hot one episode go. And, um, <laughs> That's good of you. I should I should do that. It again. I feel like we're deviating from this movie a lot because <laughs> there isn't much more to say except for they tried it didn't necessarily work, but there are good bits. Hmm. Uh, but to to finish the watch thought and to sort of build on that is what they attempted to do with the watch, which you know the way Pratchett's Discworld books um, are is sort of like fantasy's version of the Douglas Adams Hitchhiker's books in mm. that there's absurdity to them and they, you know, they're, they're sort of similar, definitely not the same, uh, <laughs> but but similar. Um, the Watch really struggled with the same issue I think this film did, which is trying to take this large canon of specifically the Watch books and those characters and condensing it even into an eight-episode TV series, the way that they went mm. about it and which, you know, the characters that they cut, like there's no Nobby or Fred Colin in that series, or at least definitely not in the first episode, and I don't think they appear at all in the series, Mm. Um, Mm. which is really disappointing because they're great characters. Mm. But at the same time, if you're looking at it from like a... If you're coming at it fresh and you're going, you know what, there's so many characters, who do we cut? And there's so much humour in this. If you're going to be clinical about it. Maybe we can do without these characters. Mm. And they tried it, and for me it didn't work, and apparently for a lot of people it didn't work. But I think it just proves how difficult it is adapting into screen medium, Mm. non-screen medium text. Sometimes it can be done really well, but a lot of the time it it does suffer, particularly when um, there there is so much of it outside of screen medium as well. Mm. Um, Things that that we liked about this film, uh, because I, I do think this is not, a dreadful film and it's not a dreadful adaptation um we, we talked a bit about the design aspect earlier um but i really want to talk about the vogons they are <laughs> stunning sensational mm. they sound right they even smell right even though i know i can't <laughs> smell them but i feel like i can the stubble yeah yeah the uh, out of this world the yeah. jim henson did a the creature shop did it for now yeah i can't describe it it's so good yeah i've just been re-watching the tv show and the focus on there so just rubbery and mm. like very cheap because it's like literally late 70s early 80s mm. bbc you know and uh yeah the, the vogons i mean they, they got a little bit overplayed that's another one of criticisms i have i think 
they got stuck on this idea that the Vogons are the big bad and yeah they had to simplify a lot for yeah push yeah. the the one big baddie for sure yeah but that they're they're just beautiful. But yeah, once you'd made them, wouldn't you want to put them in every... Exactly. I'd put them in the background of every scene. Well, just they to be also like, put them in gimp look suits. At them, look yeah. at this guy <laughs> in their tight little leather outfits, yeah. waddling around. And I just think they're voiced beautifully. And yeah. I didn't realise until this watching that it was the League of Gentlemen yeah. that voiced them. Because obviously we see Steve Pemberton right at the start of the film as yeah. the guy trying to knock down Arthur's house. But then, resistance is useless. <laughs> it's just beautiful. And yeah, like, they cut that guy down as well, which is kind of sad because that mm. sequence is pretty damn funny. Yeah, and the chest-mounted guns. Like, <laughs> there's just there's just so much to like. I really liked the design of Marvin in this film as the rounded I, robot. I know you're, I know, you're literally sitting with a replica of the, the classic <laughs> TV show head. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's actually it is a good design. I just yeah. not. Not my thing. It, it fits with the way they've designed everything, like yeah. it's the inside of an Apple Mac. Oh yeah, for this it, film. it, it yeah. matches the heart of That's gold almost pitch perfect. Mm. So it, that is great design. Yeah, and Alan Rickman, I thought, does a really quite quite charming job of. Uh... <laughs> <sighs> All right, well, it's disappointing, if, isn't it? If you're not going to use Stephen Moore, Alan Rickman's a good substitute. Yeah, he's a good, uh, well-known substitute, <laughs> yes. I guess. True. And there's a lot of well-known names in this. Mm. Um, you know, obviously Helen Mirren is the voice of Deep Thought, which is um, a nice touch. Obviously, we mentioned Stephen Fry is just perfect as the voice of the guide. Um, uh, Sam Rockwell as Zaphod is a really interesting choice. I like his. I do like mm. his Zaphod. I, yeah, I have issues with the double head. How they did all that? But, it's um, a really hard thing to now have. It a is shoot, hard. Though. Like, how do you do it? Having a little pop-up, uh, little like Pez dispenser head. <laughs> I think that's the special also, effect. As- that's. That's aged the worst. Possibly, hmm. but as someone who just last night saw Doctor Strange into oh. the multiverse. Oh, well, they're multi- I, I haven't seen it. So. Into the That's multiverse. Okay. I don't, what, what's are there, are there multi-heads? In multiverse of Madness. Multiverse of Madness. There we go. As opposed yeah. to Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse. Um, um, I won't spoil anything. Thank you. I did hate it. Oh, okay. oh. I usually don't feel passionately about Marvel films. I like them more. I'm like, not my cup of tea loathed this one okay oh, which was surprising i absolutely loved it that was great um <laughs> it was like evil dead 4 <laughs> um special effects in that hmm. um no good i ter- I, no oh. i don't think very good at all okay and there is also some body related special effects that come into play and i would say it was almost done better in this than it was in doctor strange okay uh i i'm a sam raimi fan um so for me, watching Doctor Strange two was like watching Evil Dead two married with uh, Spider Man two. I'm not really there giving a that much of a crap about the special effects because I'm mm. just enjoying superhero horror. That's totally fair. <laughs> I was going to say that I think um, modern special effects also suffer from a real time crunch and a real yeah. devaluing of the industry and the mm. fact they don't have unions really really shows in a lot of Disney's productions because mm, of the way yeah. they treat their crew. It's pretty abysmal. Uh, and oh, so looking uh, back. <laughs> Looking back to the past of the 2000s and you yeah. look at this movie, you look at movies like um, Pirates of the Caribbean, mm-hmm. Davy Jones' Locker, some of the most impressive special effects that on, on Davy Jones that still mm. hold up on to Bill this day. Nighy, on Bill yes. Nighy, it's an all a loop. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really surprised with this movie and, and continuing with the practical effects. Mm. I just felt so much more immersed in this like than I did in many, many scenes is... in like one of the most expensive films of the year. Mm. Yeah, like the second half of this film is like mostly CGI backgrounds and stuff mm. like that so it's actually for what they did they did a pretty tremendous job uh, mm. I, I, again i do have issues with actually restoring the earth 
for continuity with extra bits in this because they mm. clearly wanted to make more movies oh so yeah they sequel baited yeah. the hell out of it definitely but also at the same time i think they knew that this was probably a one and done thing just because of how hard it was to get this film made it literally yeah. basically took douglas adams dying tragically at a young age mm. for them to go fine we'll make the film because it was in development uh hell for years yeah and then he passes away in 2001. And Part of that was Adams himself. He was yeah. a notorious procrastinator mm. and he he worked at a snail's pace. Mm. Like mm. That was actually a big issue in the original <coughs> radio series. Like mm. uh, I'm not sure about ish, uh, series one, but in series two, he was replaced as the writer mm. by um, oh, the guy who credited uh, QI. Um, John Lloyd. Yeah, John yeah. Lloyd actually ended up writing wow. half of Hitchhiker's season two. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that John Lloyd, he, he gets everywhere. <laughs> he does. Yeah, he, he really is uh, very much the Bill Nye of the producing world. He's just in everything, and everyone kind of likes him. So Has Bill Nye been in Star Wars yet? When are they going to get no, him in Star Wars? I don't Wars? think so. No, I was just thinking. He's, start a petition. He was in Harry Potter. Yeah. He was in, I'm just thinking franchise films he's been in. He's not been in Star Trek either. He's, he's, to jump back to Pratchett, he's doing the voice of the footnotes in the audio books yes! that are being released. So uh, perfect. I have listened to about four of them so far and they're very good. Um, Exciting. But yes, uh, I don't think he's been in Star Wars. And if he has, mm. I've forgotten. <laughs> I wonder how many people, because there's been a couple who have been in Star Wars and Star Trek, but there's like, I think few of them have been in like that and Harry Potter and like maybe one or two mm. of the other big franchises. Mm. Yeah, it's... Um... Can we get Bill Nye in the new adaptation of The Lord of the Rings? <laughs> new Bill, The Rings of Power. <laughs> Has Bill Nye been in Doctor Who? Yes, he was oh, in the Vincent and the yes. Doctor episode. He was yes. in the That's it, he was too, yes. Yeah. And it was a pitch-perfect performance as always. Yeah. Got, got of himself. Name, of himself. <laughs> I like how the Vincent van Gogh um, expert gets his name wrong. But we'll go into that. <laughs> No, no. Uh, it doesn't appear that he has been in Star Wars. So, yeah. But there's still time. There's so much time. They're making more of it. Uh, yeah, I've heard they're making <laughs> one or two uh, bits more. Uh, would you guys like some trivia about the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy film? Yes, please, please do. Okay, all of this trivia is sourced from IMDb. So if it's not true, don't blame me. <laughs> the first bit of trivia. The producers have stated that this movie was not a literal translation of the books, just as the books were not a literal translation translation of the original radio show but all of the new ideas and characters came from douglas adams himself the hired writer that uh, took over this after adams's death simply came on board to improve structure and make the screenplay more coherent so this screenplay was less coherent <laughs> is what <laughs> I'm hearing, right. which is um <laughs> again there are some very trooper. can you imagine that man <sighs> There, there are some, pages of notes. There, there are some kill. very sudden jumps. <laughs> I would kill to see the original uh, Douglas Adams script. Yeah. Now, maybe it's best left, I think. <laughs> it might not be uh, what we hope. Um, Deep Thought explains the significance of the number 42, 42 minutes into this film. Nice detail. Uh, I don't know if that meant that they rushed the beginning a bit to get us there. <laughs> but yeah. um, but it, was, it was a nice touch. That's no, funny because... Uh... Uh, story arc wise that is normally where it is placed about the second or third hour, uh, middle arc yeah but uh, funny enough in the radio in a lot of the theatre productions they usually shift it to the f- uh, front end because they want to get it over and done with so yeah. actually making that choice is pretty interesting mm. uh, the movie was first optioned back in 1982 mm. by the producer uh, Ivan Reitman Oh, he's a genius. Mm. Uh, Douglas Adams wrote three drafts for uh, Reitman per his contract. During that time, um, 
Medjuk and Gross, who were Joe Redjuk and Michael Gross, who were also uh, producers on this project, um, were considering Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd to play Ford Prefect. But but Aykroyd sent them his idea for Ghostbusters, and they made that movie instead. <laughs> Good choice. So Good choice. we almost we could have had a different world with no Ghostbusters, but with can you imagine an American Arthur Dent? Bill, no, no, no Ford, Ford, Ford Prefect. Prefect. Oh, sorry, yeah, so I, was, I was just listening to that going. That's not possible. Yeah, no, can you imagine Bill, yeah, Bill Murray as for I can confirm this planet has no Sorry. dick. Like, <laughs> it maybe wouldn't have worked as well. If Bill Murray was playing his like one of his bad role like character roles, like from his character like Caddyshack, where he's a little bit like you know that kind of weird Bill Murray, I could see that. But um, he plays weird without any like embarrassment quite yeah. well, which is yeah. something Ford has is just like. I think Ford Prefect needs that. (laughs) Ford is supposed to be just a little bit off kilter. Mm, Exactly. And I I think Mostaf played it really well, to be honest. Like, um, I thought his off kilterness was was actually quite quite charming. (laughs) I was like, yeah, he's he's doing a great job. He's very endearing, I think, as a journalist. He's a a great foil for Rosé Ford. Yeah. I do feel as though... The casting's great. It is. I do feel as though... As with most characters in this film, he got a little bit caught up in the wash of the miasma of stuff that was happening. Yeah. Uh, almost forgot Bill Bailey, voice of the whale, was yeah. perfect casting. So cute. Oh my! Oh, what's so this? Ground. Sad. Hello, ground. If you're gonna get an enthusiastic voice actor, yeah, you can't go past Bill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the movie, obviously being in development hell for so long, saw many different um, casting and directing options. Uh, Jay Roach, who is listed as an executive producer on this film, was originally. Uh, a possible directing uh, option. He was lined up to direct this film. His version would have had Hugh Laurie playing Arthur, uh, Jim Carrey as Zaphod Beetlebrox, mm. and the late Nigel Hawthorne as Slarty Bartfast. Mm. Yeah. 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 It would be very Austin Powers-ish, but I could probably start working. I feel like Jim Carrey pulls too much focus in that casting. Yeah, but it is Zaphod. Yeah. Mm. Just just Nigel Hawthorne in more things. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. No. As much as Bill Nye is great at Slarty in this, uh, just Nigel, Nigel Hawthorne, Hawthorne yeah. just trying to be very austere and then say, what's your name? Slarty yeah. Bartfast. <laughs> well, do you know I told the, you it wasn't Do you know the origin of Slarty Bartfast? It's coming up oh, okay. in our trivia. Oh, there but, you go. but I'm happy to hear it from you. If you oh, want. no, it's um, basically Douglas Adams was trying to th- think of the rudest word he could construct <laughs> that would get past the BBC censors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the uh, original name started out as... Farty fuck blords. <laughs> uh, spelled P H A R T I P H U K B O R L Z. So if it sounded like there was a very rude swear word in there, it was actually spelled P H U K. So yeah. I don't have to censor it. Um, he changed it bit by bit from farty fuck blords until we got to slarty bartfast, which was the first time it was allowed past the uh, BBC rules. <laughs> yep. It's so perfect. There's, yeah. a little, there's, there's a little bit of a Rick and Morty energy to um, <laughs> to Hitchhikers. Or, or should I say there's Hitchhikers energy in Rick and Morty. Mm. That name feels very much like just just every character in Rick oh, and Morty. There's so much where it's like you could see they were just having so much fun. Mm. Uh, the old lady sitting at the street side table, oblivious or uninterested in what was going on around her when the planet was being destroyed, was Douglas Adams's mother, which oh. I was didn't know until I watched this one. And I'm like... That's really lovely. Obviously quite sad because, you know, her son died. Yeah. Um, he was only 
yeah, 49 when yeah. he died. And it was obviously... Uh, cancer, I think. No, heart attack. Heart attack. Sorry, yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was uh, in a gym uh, and his, yeah, his yeah. heart just gave out. Yeah, it was very heart. sudden. Yeah. yeah um, but uh, yeah, she was in it. Um, director Garth Jennings didn't give any acting directions to her for that scene. So she just sat there and read a newspaper. <laughs> Um, in one of the chaotic uh, street scenes, fans can also spot Douglas Adams's brother, James Thrift, uh, his sister, Jane Garnier, and his daughter, Polly Jane Rocket Adams. What a name. Well, Douglas Adams used to cameo a lot in like, mm. bits and bobs in the TV series, like mm. uh, a lot of the graphics, including the... Uh, the serious cybernetics corporate uh, marketing division is like literally a bit of like Douglas Adams uh, with like antennas and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah, so there are multiple uh, Douglas Adams uh, cameos. If including you want to right at the end, film. last shot. Yeah, right at the end, the last shot. His face is one of the images of the the Heart of Gold transformation. A painting of Douglas Adams and his wife Jane Belson appears in the Heart of Gold. Um, he also cameos as a few handles on some cupboards in uh, Huma Kavula's office because they were all shaped based off his nose. So all of the noses in that temple. Oh, that's so oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, they no, were nose, which is just beautiful. Also, one of the planets in the Planet Builder was literally just his face shape as mm. a planet. And it's only on there for like half a second and it's to the left of screen as it pans away. But I was really looking for it, knowing mm. that it was in there. And it is literally just his face as a planet. <laughs> and it's brilliant. Um, and it's just, yeah, there was obviously a lot of love for him, which is just um, lovely to see. Uh, the Heart of Gold bridge set had so many light bulbs uh, that the bulbs could only run for eight minutes at a time to prevent the set from catching fire. Oh, my God. So that was a very bright set. It was. And, uh, yeah, they would have been very warm on set for that one. <laughs> Uh, the nightgown that uh, Arthur Dent wore, also known as you know dressing gown, but uh, yeah, a nightgown. Nightgown. Um, Arthur Dent uh, wore was the most expensive and difficult of all the costumes in this film. This includes um, the effect for Zephod's heads and uh, Huma Kavula's eyes. It's because the fabric had to be sewn on stage and was flown in specially from Turkey. I don't know who. Why? I don't know who decided it had to be this that, very particular look. That's Green almost, Turkish toweling. Yeah, that's that's almost as bad as the Prometheus uh, suit uh, that uh, Charlize Theron wears. It's mm. like outrageously expensive material that Ridley Scott insisted had to be, mm. and it was like I, th- I think it was like a thousand bucks a yard, something like that. It's ridiculously expensive. That's mm. bizarre. Totally but in this case, why? I, know. Mm. I, I guess just to make uh, Martin Freeman comfortable, I hope. Uh, I hope it was, because I've seen those kind of uh, dressing gowns at Target. Mm. <laughs> um, as the emergency escape pod crashes on Vogue Sphere, the sound made by it is the same as the plane from the end of In the Flesh, the first track on Pink Floyd's album The Wall. Ah? Douglas Adams was a friend of Floyd guitarist David Gilmour and uh, even played at one of their shows at one point. Yeah, the original radio play, the very, very original radio play, actually had a Pink Floyd reference that they had to remove in later visions because of copyright. Mm-hmm. In one shot, the Apple Mac logo is visible on the side of Deep Thought, <laughs> the giant computer. <laughs> Douglas Adams owned the first two yep. Apple Macintosh computers delivered to the United Kingdom. The third was owned by Stephen Fry. Yep. Both yeah. of them mad uh, Mac Early guys. Adapters. They were both being Mac guys. Uh, obviously, uh, Stephen Fry and Douglas Adams were also really good friends. Oh, yeah. Which is partly why they're like, yeah, Stephen, you need to come and do this voice. And Stephen was like, 
Yes, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, Stephen Fry um, didn't do the uh, radio series as the narrator when uh, the, uh, the role got replaced, but he ended up doing a, a small voice role in it. And it's kind of weird just to hear Stephen Fry not be the narrator now. Like, it mm. just, he, he, he does it so well. Yeah. But he's also, it's Stephen Fry. You just want that voice in mm. anything. Mm. True. Yeah, he's, he's just very, very good in the role. The final bit of trivia is some of the alternate casting for Zaphod, uh, specifically um, for this film. So these were some of the actors that were considered, but uh, lost out to Sam Rockwell. Uh, we already mentioned Bill Murray, mm. um, so we'll skip past him. Robert Downey Jr. No. This is I, I this is just before Iron Man Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. He's got the ego, but I'm not sure if he's got the silliness. Okay. Uh maybe the inverse where we've got the silliness but maybe not the ego. Will Ferrell? Ugh, no. No. no I I think uh, Robert Downey actually would have been quite good. Mm. Uh the final one they have on here is Johnny Depp. No. Uh Johnny Depp is reportedly a massive Douglas Adams fan. Uh, I think he would have been excellent. Mm. I'm not sure he could do the comedy. That's just it. Uh, Charlie and Chocolate Factory. Also, Captain Jack. Like he could have just done that, and it yeah. would have been fine for Zayford. Yeah. Except no, Sam Rockwell was the right choice. No, Sam Rockwell was the right ba- choice. Based on that fantastic. list. No, yeah. I, okay. I'm turning around a bit more on Robert Downey. The more I think about it, <coughs> I think Danny could do it. But um, yeah, no, Sam Rockwell was perfect. Mm. Yeah, and again, um. You know, moving from one sci-fi comedy to another uh, with his uh, Galaxy Quest mm. appearance, which, um, yeah, Galaxy Quest is always one that I forget about, despite the fact that it's excellent. It's, um, it's one of the best Star Trek movies ever made. Yeah. I've never seen it. Oh, well. Too bad uh, the podcast already happened. Well, <laughs> you, you say too bad. I say visit our library and you can hear, uh, you can hear our review of Galaxy Quest uh, that was done a couple of years ago. Uh, and indeed, dear listener, you can too. But the plugs for the show are coming after we've given our scores. So uh, it is time for us to score the film. Simon, you get to go first because it was your first time watching this film the whole way through. Uh, what would you give applause, Hitchhikers out of 10? Mm, uh, okay, as I said, it feels like they took a, a Hitchhiker's novel and thrown it in a blender and then picked out most of the good bits and chucked them in a Bob Peter for six months. Um, beyond that, as I said, it's got some good moments. Um, I can't ding it too hardly, but I can't give it in good conscience anything more than a five I'm, I'm sorry no no that's that's uh, fine as to what it's out of five um i will give it a five out of ten vogue on constructor fleets excellent uh what about yourself anna um a lot of nostalgia but i think it's one of those cases of of the meat is there in some places and mm-hmm. the bones are not mm. and mm. <laughs> i think it's gonna get six babel fish mm. out nice. of ten the Babelfish was quite cute in this film. <laughs> I love, I love the Babelfish. The Babelfish is awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, but again, something that's touched on very briefly and never comes up again because yeah. that's what you we have to do. Haven't got the time. <laughs> yeah, we haven't got the time to do it. Uh, look, I, I don't think this is a very good film. Um, f- uh, removing all of the sort of hitchhikers content that is in there and the jokes which are fine it's it's not terribly well made um it's a bit jumpy um the the effects still hold up which is nice um the costume design is is really really Mm. lovely 
Um, mm. the, the cast is pretty good, um, even if some of the acting choices are a bit strange. But just just looking at it like as a film, yeah. It it the reason I I think I'm willing to like like this film is because of elements that aren't the film itself are these these elements that are from the source material um which means that the film has done an okay-ish job of adapting it uh, i realize but at the same time it's it's not particularly brilliant i haven't watched this one in a long time and i can kind of maybe see why i think even when i watched it and liked it a bit more in, in the dim dark distant past i think maybe there was always something in the back of my mind saying yeah but it's it's not very good is it <laughs> and, um, yeah so i'm 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 gonna give it I'm going to give it four and a half mice out of ten. Uh, it's... Poor mice. Yeah. You've got half of... Which half? Um, oh, it's got to be the back half. That's funnier. <laughs> Just a little tail. <laughs> Can't see the look of betrayal and death in its eyes now I've cut it in half. Yeah. I give it four and a half... Uh, four and a half pages of Vogon poetry oh, out God. of ten. It's pretty rough. Yeah. Well, it's it, it, it's okay-ish. It is okay-ish. <laughs> I think is the official review. Um, I, I'm just very aware of having just come from watching The Fifth Element last week as well, where um, this film has a lot of the same problems mm. as that film. Um, I think I like this one more, though. Um, sorry, Fifth Element. It's, you know, it, you, you came second in a two-slow-horse race. <laughs> uh, but... Um, it was a joy watching it with you both. So, Anna and Simon, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Thank you for making me endure that. <laughs> you thank did you very well. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. We have reviewed Galaxy Quest. We have reviewed The Fifth Element. We've reviewed quite a few science fiction films, actually. Uh, you can hear them and every other episode we have reviewed... Sorry. Every other film we have reviewed by going to our archives our own uh, guide to cinema um you can find us on itunes soundcloud spotify or on little floating ipads in space that uh, <laughs> fly past and go dan 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 except it's on a honky-tonk piano as per our theme uh just search for the cinema catch-up club there we can also be found on facebook um you can find us leave us your own reviews uh let us know um whether or not you like this film or not. If you had two heads, what would you do with the second head? Whatever it is you want to talk about. I think I can quote uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide. I'd have so much fun banging them both together. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you want to um, steal jokes from Douglas Adams and put them up there, uh, <laughs> or quote them, as it's also known, just search for The Cinema Catch-Up Club on Facebook. And finally, there is our Patreon. Uh, for as little as a dollar a month, you can get all sorts of extra bonus features and goodies. Just search for us over at Patreon uh, by searching for the Cinema Catch-Up Club or put in the web address patreon.com forward slash ccuc podcast. But that's all for this week. So until next time. Oh, no, not again. <laughs>
You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.